Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. You know, uh, you know that part in a marriage ceremony, you get to the end of it and says, <laughs> you know, doing your vows, you say, until death do us part. Well, that almost came about nine months into my marriage. I was almost killed. And uh, so here's what happened. I, uh, <laughs> my wife got really, really mad at me. And I couldn't figure out why. I mean, I was searching. And I just, I, I thought everything was good. I was watching football on TV, and she was out washing the car, and, and I, I just couldn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand. And she came in, and uh, she was like, uh, hey, the car's clean. I'm like, that's great. Thanks. And I was just doing my thing. And uh, she goes, she got a little, you know, <laughs> quiet anger. <laughs> it doesn't stay quiet for too long. And, um, and so it, it, she, she kind of uh, finally got it out. I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, you never take care of the car. And I go, was I supposed to? And I go, she goes, look, it was dirty. I had to wash it. I go, yep. She goes, you're supposed to wash the car. I'm like, whoa, hold on a minute. Where did that come from? I, I, why would I wash the car? I go, have you ever seen me wash my car? Have you ever gotten into my car when it was clean? Have you ever not been able to write names in the dust on my car? She goes, no. I go, right, because I don't wash cars. I go, I, I don't, I, no. And she goes, yes. And so we kept digging and kept digging. And, she, and we found out that her dad, every Saturday with her brother, would go out and take care of the car and then take care of the lawn and check the oil and do the maintenance on the car. And she was going, what about you? I was like, whoosh, you should have married your dad. We do it all the time, don't we? Walk into our marriage, walk into our relationships, with a whole box of expectations. And then we spend our lifetime battling that our expectations would be seen, fulfilled. They might even turn it into desires, and those desires would be lived out. Oh, you know, there's the baby expectation. How many of these little ones are we going to have? We're going to have them at all? We were going to have three until we had two, and I said, that was enough. And she agreed, thankfully. That second one was 11 pounds, 24 inches. Woo, that was a big one. We stopped. Bye, baby. There was the who will do what expectation. Who's going to clean? Who's going to work? Both going to do it? A little bit? Maybe? Yeah, I blew that out. Then there's the time expectation. What, what, well, well, how much time will we spend with each other? How much time will be devoted to our jobs? How much time will be devoted to family dinners? We're going to be in the house every night for family dinner. We're going to eat out once or twice. We're going we're gonna to only work 40, well, 50, maybe 60 hours a week. We're gonna, we're, three vacations a year. Three. Three vac- one. Um, what's the expectation? 
What's the time expectation that we'll give to one another? You know, you know how it goes. It goes on and on and on and on, the expectations, right? That's nothing new. This is just a little bit of fun. But then there's this expectation. This is the Bible. It's the Word of God. It represents who we are going to be in Christ. And they all come with a little bit of expectation. What's that going to look like? Are you going to look like my mom and dad? I sure hope not. Are you going to look like my mom and dad? I sure hope so. Are you going to look like uh, his name was Mr. Allman? And Mr. Allman was this pillar in our church. Had an amazing marriage, him and his wife. What's the biblical? What are we gonna? What's the Christian expectation? What do I? What do I want from my Christian wife? And what does my wife want from her Christian husband? We come in with expectations. Now the expectations might be biblical. They might not be. They might be godly. They might not be. They might be driven by truth. Or they might just be, once again, driven by my expectations. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's there for sure. I guess I left a mess up here. should probably pick up the baby just in case. Don't know where that's supposed to go after we're done, so I don't want to be on the floor for too long. This was new, by the way, so we'll put that in here. This is good. We started the series last week saying marriage is a covenant. That when God said the two will leave their families and unite and become one, that was covenant language. That it was going to last forever. It was supposed to be a oneness that came together that would never be broken. And we said, how is it that we can begin to see, to live with the, the image, the understanding that this relationship will never be broken? Remember we said that we've been all over the place. All sorts of good things and bad things. We've made great decisions and poor decisions. Our, in our marriages, we've... Some have been broken and some are still going and some have been, there's been all sorts of things. And we said, just, let's just start this week, no matter where we are, no matter where we are. We said last Sunday, let's just start today and have an entirely new definition of marriage, covenant, covenant marriage, that it would last forever, that what God brought together, it would truly become one so that it would never be separated again. Today, let's start that. Maybe you've been married for 60 years, but you've been living under a contract and fighting it out and negotiating that contract for expectations to be realized. And today, let's start living in the covenant relationship. And we said, how do we do that? Well, let's get rid of some of that contractual language that we use. Let's get rid of some of that contractual expectation. Let's get rid of some of that. So, today I want us to look at how is it that we cultivate a covenant marriage. We're going to make that covenant with God first, and then it's going to be to one another, and then it has to be cultivated. The covenant has to be remembered. All throughout Scripture, the covenants that God made with us, there was celebrations, there was remembrances. We have those, it's called an anniversary, but it needs to be far more than that. We had remembrances as we read through the pages of Scripture, as, we, as they would gather for teachings, as they would show up to the temples and the synagogues, and they would be reminded of God's great promises to them. They'd be reminded of God's faithfulness. They'd be reminded that they were the people of God. They would be reminded as they were going through discipline or sitting in the midst of their consequences, there would be a prophet that would call up and say, turn back, turn back. And cultivate that relationship. Stay in the midst of your covenant. Don't be a covenant breaker. Don't turn away from the God who loves you and promises. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about cultivating the covenant 
of marriage. The very first thing we need to do as individuals, because remember, the very first relationship is the covenant with God. There is no possible way we're going to keep our covenant relationship with our spouse. There's no possible way we can cultivate that covenant unless we are growing in Christ. It has to be that first. And so here we go. For this reason, it says in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, which, by the way, we're going to be in two different passages in Ephesians, but we won't dive too deep into either one of them. We're not going to, we're not going to take the time this morning and just dissect every little bit of it because we're going to spend the summer working our way through Ephesians. We're going to start in Ephesians 1, 1, and we're just going to work our way all the way through Ephesians 6. And we're going to take it verse by verse and just see what Paul and the Holy Spirit will challenge us through this great book written to the church of Ephesus. All right, so let's get reading in, in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, this is Paul praying, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, all that God has for us, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit for all those who say yes to Jesus and receive his salvation, the spirit then indwells and fills them. They say through his power, his power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. When we really start to break that passage down, it's going to be a fun day. But that we would be filled. That there is a knowledge we can have about God and who he is. That that knowledge, as we continue to pursue it and continue to understand it and continue to apply it to our lives, it will fill us through the work of the Holy Spirit, using that scripture, using that passage, using those knowledge, that knowledge, will fill us to a whole measure of this relationship with God that we're supposed to have. And then he goes on to say, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There is so much to be had in this relationship with Christ that we scratch the surface most of the time, that we show up many times on a Sunday morning, which is great to do, but in our short time together, that is not how we grow in the breadth and the width and the depth of our knowledge of Jesus and all that he has to offer. It is not how we fill up. It is literally going out like once a week to, meet, to eat dinner. Let's just call it that, right? If I went once a week to try to fill this body full of food, it wouldn't work too well. Because by later on that day or the next day, I am hungry and I am starving. I'm like, I need some food. But to fill this to the whole measure, I'm going to eat throughout the day. I'm going to take it in. To be filled to the fullness of what God has for our lives and who he is. To understand how he works. To, to experience his immeasurable power is to be with him and to engage with him and to be in the word on a regular basis. Here's several of the things that we're going to need to do to expand and grow in this understanding of who God is, to expand and grow in our knowledge of what he wants to do in our lives and how he wants us to live our lives. We're going to have to be in the word regularly. We are going to have to dive into the word regularly. Many of us took the challenge of being in the word 365 days this, this year, and some of you are still plodding along and do it, and I praise you. God for that. And others, you've, you've taken a break, but you're going to get right back into it. 
I just know it. You're going to jump right back in and get right back pursuing being in the word every day, learning and growing about the depth, the width, the height of God and who he is and his great love for us and what he has for our lives. We're going we're gonna to learn from one another. We're going to be in studies together and learn and be challenged from one another. And the saints have passed and the saints that are just in other places as they write books and study material that we can learn more about God's great character. We have to grow in our intimacy during prayer, a conversation. Just like with your spouse, in a couple weeks, Bill Eaton is going to share a message on communication and how do we communicate with one another, which, by the way, is good for every relationship we have under the sun, communication. But we need to communicate with our Father. We need to listen to Him, and we need to talk to Him. We need to bear our burdens in our heart, but we also need to celebrate with our Father. We need to have this intimate conversation that's a constant conversation. We need to develop an appetite for God and the things of God. We need to want and desire to know more about God. Was that God working over there? Was that God working over there? Did He bring this about? I don't know. But we need to have an appetite to know if that's God doing things in our lives. We need to align our priorities. We need to practice and work on aligning our priorities to be godly priorities. To match and align with scripture. Individually, that's what we need to do as individuals. And we need to serve others and to help them grow. Because when we help somebody else grow, it helps us grow. And in that, our relationship with Christ is going to be growing. Our covenant is going to become stronger. We're going to be reminded of God's promises and his strength and who he is and we are gonna remember that he can do immeasurably more than we ever thought or imagined when was the last time marriage got so rough that you needed to believe that he can do immeasurably more than you could ever think or imagine when was the last time that together as a couple life got so rough that together you needed to remember that he can do immeasurably more than you could ever think or imagine we have to grow in our relationship with christ in order to be the covenant keeper and to cultivate that covenant with our spouse. We need to learn to submit and serve one another. In Ephesians 5.21, Paul, after talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and living in that fullness, he says this, Now, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It doesn't just say serve. It says submit to one another. We hate that word, don't we? We hate that word. What do you mean submit? Submit. Give yourselves to one another. Come under the authority of one another. Submit to them. Give your life away to them. And why? Out of reverence for Christ. Out of what he did for us. Out of this great joy and this great reverence and this overwhelming love and awe for God for what he did for us then we will give our lives away to others. That's the great purpose. When John said, I've come to give you life, life to the fullest, he meant right here, right now. And he meant that purpose would be to give ourselves away to others. Listen to what he said in John 13. We read it last week. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now he states this. Submit to one another, and then he pulls out three family relationships, and he begins to talk about what that's going to look like for the follower of Christ, who has been absolutely overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, who has been full, filled with the Spirit and empowered to live for God. <laughs> and what's going to happen? We're going to submit to one another. 
and he begins to break down relationships. The relationship between the husband and wife, the relationship between parents and children, and the relationship between slave and master. And he breaks down these relationships, and he says in each one of them, there's language of submission. There's language of sacrifice. There is a language of offering ourselves to the other that they might benefit, that they might grow up. It, it is this. It is a race to lay down the, our expectations. It is a race to serve one another. It is a race to give our lives away that somebody else can live in the fullness of their relationship with Christ. Too often we say it's a race to get what I want. It's a race to have the life I want. It's a race to have the expectations in a relationship that I have. It's a race to be on top where Jesus says we're going to live in a way that it's a race to live so that others succeed. It's a race to live so that others grow up in Christ. It's a race to live so that others have this amazing, deep, impactful relationship with Christ. That I'll lay my life down so that you can have a deeper, stronger relationship with Jesus. What Paul is describing here was absurd to the people of that culture. What Paul was describing was absolutely ridiculous because you do not submit to one another. There is a hierarchy and it's been established and it's established for a good reason. And then Paul darkens the door of the family situation. Listen to what he says here. He says, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now what's Paul doing here? First he's talking about submitting. Then he talks about a hierarchy. And what he's doing is he's tapping in to what they're saying, right? Because he's talking about submitting to one another. And you have these men sitting there going, are you kidding me? I'm not submitting to my wife. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to submit to a woman. No way. They're not even human. I don't even get it. No way. And that would literally be their, their thought. They didn't have any rights. There was a, a law that was represented in the Greek and the Roman culture. And that law was Patricia, Patria, <laughs> Patria Potestas, which is the legal justification and jurisdiction over their wives. It literally meant that their wives were their property. And they had legal authority over their wives. They could do a couple different things. If they didn't like what their wife did, anything that their wife did, they can go, divorce, divorce, divorce. And that's it. They were cast out. That's it. They were done. They could just get rid of their wives. And their wives would have no right to an income. Their wives would have no way to take care of themselves. Their wives would have nothing. They would just be cast out. Why? Because they burnt the toast. That'd be it. Wouldn't have to go to court of law. Wouldn't have to do anything. And a woman could not be a witness. They couldn't go and testify against the men. So they had nothing. Nothing on their side. And here comes Paul saying, Every relationship submit to one another. And so he knows what they're thinking. So he steps into what they're thinking. And he says, yes, wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now Paul's got things back on track. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's the way it should be. I'm the Lord. I'm the authority. I'm the ogre of this relationship. Oh, man. That's not even close. That's not even close. It's not even close to what Paul was getting at, was it? 
And most of us in this room knows what comes next. Listen to what he says next. He says, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle or other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loved his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But what I am talking about is Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So first of all, let's work our way a little bit backwards. And remember, during the summer, we're really going to tear this one apart. But let's work ourselves a little bit backwards. First of all, remember, the two will leave their family to do what? To become one. So to love my wife is to love myself. To have a high view of my wife is to have a high view of myself. To, have a, to cherish my wife is to cherish myself because the two of us are one. For my wife to have a high view of me is to have a high view of herself because we're going to become one. We're already growing in our covenant relationship with God. We're remembering what he did. We've been called to sacrifice, to love the way Christ did. So I'm going to lay my, wife, my life down for my wife that she would grow closer to Christ and become the woman that God anticipated her to become, become the woman that God wants her to become. And she's going to lay her life down that I would become the man that God wants me to become, sacrificing her desires, her expectations, so that I would become what God wants me to become. And in that, we'd submit our will first to Christ, then to one another. But let's keep going forward. What is it that it would mean to sacrifice, to, to be in a relationship where there's order, and the man is the head of that relationship? It means they will lay their life down for their wife like Christ did for the church absolutely surrendering everything that he was. Christ gave up heaven and all the privileges of heaven. Christ gave up the worship of angels and eternity to come here. Christ gave up his physical pleasures to come here. Christ gave up everything to come here. Now, his physical pleasures were holy, so don't get anything going on there. But he gave all of that up to be here and walk with us. He was ridiculed. He was put down. He was spat upon. He was beaten. His hair was pulled out. He took everything upon ourselves. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. And for what reason? So that we would be presented as holy, spotless, and blameless. So what are we going to do for our wives? These men who said your wives don't even have any uh, it really, any humanity to them, they're just good for producing babies. That's what the men thought. He said, you will lay down your life so that they can be exactly who God intended them to be. Because Jesus absolutely valued women and men. In Christ, there is slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, male nor female, we are simply in Christ, under the blood of Christ, all brought before him. But every relationship, there has to be order. 
And in every relationship, there's accountability. And in every relationship, there needs to be unity. The curse on Adam and Eve would be that they would be at war with one another, fighting for the lead. Fighting for who would be the leader. Fighting for who would win their way. And Jesus came and said, give up your life that they might have life. In Christ, the war is over. We submit to one another. In Christ, we give our lives away for our spouse. That means that no one gets to lord over anyone. It means that my wife's walk with Christ is of the supreme importance to me. It means that I'll get it wrong and I will humbly ask her forgiveness. It means when she has the better way, we absolutely go that way. It means when her gifts are stronger than my gifts, her gifts go before us. When her talents are greater than mine, her talents go before us. When her skills are superior to mine, her skills go before us. Because God made her to be the most beautiful part, an amazing part of my life apart from him. God put us together that I would grow closer to Christ because of her. And she surrenders her life to me. That when my gifts are stronger, when my talents are stronger, when my wisdom is stronger, she submits to that. But we both submit to the word of God regularly. And my final role, the one that Adam abdicated, the one that he gave up on, the one that he turned his back on, that in Christ, men, we all have to go back to. And women, we go back to that as well. When we're at an impasse, in my 25 years of marriage, I can't count the impasse on more than a hand. We, when we're at an impasse and we've gone back to the word and the word says, well, it's not a matter of good and evil. It's a matter of, matter of better and best. When it's a matter of good and evil, it's clear and we submit to that which is good. And both parties start to wave, hey, we're not going down the righteous track. And if that happens to be the wife that calls that out, if it happens to be the husband that calls that out, they call it out. But ultimately, God will say, did you go down an evil path, Tim? Did your family go down an evil path? Did you let your wife go down an evil path? Did you let yourself go down an evil path? Did you let it happen, Tim? Or did you speak up and speak the word of God into your marriage? Did you speak up and speak the word of God into your family? Did you sit up and say, the Lord says this. How do we get back on the right path? Did you call your family to their knees to pray? Did you call your wife to her knees to pray? When she humbled herself and she came to you and said, honey, you're wrong. Did you submit yourself to her? When she humbled herself and came to you and said, Honey, you're going down the wrong path. It's an evil path. Did you submit yourself to her? That's what I'm going to be held accountable to. That's what my wife is going to be held accountable to. We're going to be held accountable to the standards of Christ and his great love he gave to us and us surrendering our will and calling our spouse to this amazing godly walk. No matter what it takes. And in that, we'll have unity. And the curse that was already broken by Christ will experience the broken curse in our own marriages. We're going to experience a marriage that is full of peace as opposed to being full of animosity and hatred and fighting and backstabbing 
and the desire for expectations to win out. Instead, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because of his great love for us. And both of our roles is this, to hold up hope, to hold up hope. See, in this life, we've got to have hope. We've got to have hope of where we're going. We've got to have hope that God keeps his promises. And then when God says we're supposed to submit to one another, we are. God takes something of a culture and he says, listen, wives, submit to your husbands. But husbands, lay down your life. Be the man that your wife would love to serve, that she would be honored to serve, that she would be honored to help you grow closer to Christ because you have no higher ambition in your life than to see your wife grow closer to Christ. Choices, decisions, priorities, expectations all fall under the heading of Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're going to cling to that hope. And we're going to call our family back to that hope. And we're going to remind them over and over and over again. We're going to remind them that God has never failed. He's never let up on one of his promises. Never once has he has done that. Eric, come on up. He hasn't. And there's this song that we're about to sing, and I would just challenge you to pray for your marriages. I would challenge you to pray for one another. I would challenge you to investigate your life. Have you been fighting your expectations in your marriage, or have you been surrendering your will to Christ and saying, how do I serve and submit to my spouse? Have, has their walk of Christ been my priority, or has my comfort, hope, and desire been my priority? God has never failed us. He's never walked away from one covenant. And in this song, there's this line in it and it says, he has never failed you yet. That's not a yet as if he's going to fail you. That's not a yet as, hey, be careful. Someday God's going to fail you. It's remember when it gets really hard and gets really difficult. Remember when your will starts to take over. Remember when you don't want to give yourself away to this person because you know what? To be honest with you, they're being a jerk. But you'll remember your covenant. You'll remember the promises that God has spoken over you. You'll cling to the one that can help you be the wife or the husband that you need to be. You will cling to the one who gave you everything because he has never failed you. And go through the story of your life. He has not failed you yet, which means he is sufficient for tomorrow. Keep going. Keep giving yourself away. Keep cultivating that covenant. Grow in Christ. Serve one another. And strive for unity. That together, submitting to one another, no more fighting. No more achieving your expectations at the pain of crushing theirs. No more. He's got the strength that we need. He's declared the life that we can have. Them. Pray for one another this morning. If we can pray for you, we'd love to be up here praying for you. We would love to be here. I'll be here. Uh, Melissa will jump up here. 
Others will be up here if you need to pray. We'd love to have you up here. Just take this time. Father, we thank you because you do move mountains and you do it again and again and again. Those mountains in our lives that we think are overcomable. The view of our spouse that isn't the view you want us to have. The understanding of who they are that is not the understanding that you want us to have. The view of ourself, which is not the view you want us to have. You move those mountains over and over and over again and you give us hope. For your promises are faithful. You will always be there for us. You will always lead us in the path of righteousness and holiness. You will always give us hope where there seems to be no hope. And Father, you have laid out the way for us to serve one another, to submit to one another. For our value lies in you. That in you is where we find our hope and our worth. In you. And now, Father, help us to give it away every single day. Every single day. In your name we pray. Amen.